Maddie Flint here. Welcome back to the Essentials Podcast. In this episode, I'm doing sort of a follow-up on my previous one, the China quote-unquote spy balloon. Um, Long story short, it floated across our nation for days and was finally popped over South Carolina by a U.S. fighter jet on February 4th. And the balloon, which I'm sure everybody knows what it looked like by now, was lightweight, it was flying much higher than required air traffic, and was equipped with a technology bay. China claimed it was for civilian meteorological research, yeah right, and was blown off topic. Everyone should be highly skeptical of this whole situation, obviously. Why in the heck would China allow, first of all, civilians to be flying aircraft over the United States? And secondly, China is incredibly advanced in the world of technology, as are we. Our world is moving in that direction anyway. These are world powers. And China isn't going to send a little weather balloon to the U.S. as their most top secret form of gathering information on us. There are theories already that this whole thing was just a ploy, something to cause a stir and to distract Americans. I don't know for sure. The whole thing is definitely a little bit odd. And my sister and I were talking about this the other night, and she goes, how can we be sure that they're not staging this whole thing just to give Joe something to say that he accomplished while in office? Oh, I shot the balloon. I ordered them to shoot the balloon down. It all boils down to how our country is leaving a very dangerous impression on world powers. And it's that we're more weak. We have weak leaders. I'm sure they would do something like that for Joe. But what I'm thinking is at least one of the factors uh, is that the Epstein list is supposed to be getting exposed pretty soon. So I'm, I'm almost not surprised that all this random stuff is happening. But... China is just teasing Americans at this point. They already know how much power they have and how Joe isn't going to stop them. The best way to get on this for us is to vote for a better candidate next election cycle. And that doesn't just go for people who are conservative, Republican, or independent. That goes for people who are Democrat too, because the last election cycle, they only voted for Biden because he wasn't Trump. That's not a good enough reason to vote somebody into presidency. So hopefully people wake up a little bit more this next time around. And since I actually recorded the first part to this podcast a while ago, there's been some time in between where there were other unidentified flying objects that were sighted and a second balloon was popped or shot down over Lake Huron by the U.S. Even though it was closer to the Canadian border, So I don't know why we jumped on that. And we didn't jump on the one that was floating over our country for a full week. And there were also instances of balloon-like aircraft in Romanian territory and supposedly one near Alaska that was possibly Russian. But I don't know how much I should play into this. You know, I think we're all thinking the same thing. What is going on? There's so much ridiculousness happening at even in just this week and last week. And what's way more of a national emergency is the Chernobylish chemical spill in Ohio. It's damaging people's drinking water, it's damaging and polluting their air, and it's killing their animals. That is a major, major environmental crisis, and none of the super radical environmentalists are talking about it at all because it's not important. It doesn't fit their narrative. But that's something that should be all over the news. 
or maybe this strange burning of chicken farms and the derailing of cargo trains. I saw that that happened just today in Michigan. That's weird because that could be close to where the second balloon was shot down. But I'm going to discuss all of that stuff fully another time. Anyways, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about something a lot more interesting, at least for me, maybe some of you guys too, but that is biopsychology. So this is an interdisciplinary field that analyzes how the brain and neurotransmitters influence our behaviors, thoughts, and feelings. The brain is just an incredibly fascinating and highly complex part of our bodies anyway, so it's super interesting to learn all of these miraculous ways that it functions. It's the control center, and the field of biopsychology takes a deeper look into all of those functions and the electrical processes that go on within it, and it combines the psychological aspect also. And there's so much material relating to this approach to studying the biology and the psychology behind what we do. For example, looking at how your eyes are able to inform your brain of what you're reading and then how the brain interprets this information and how your brain communicates this with your hands when you're turning pages or when you're, when you're analyzing, contemplating, taking notes, and then how you respond to it. What's your perception of it? Did you like what you read or did you hate it? And I'm going to be covering more topics under the field of biopsychology in more than one episode, I think, because it's really interesting. But for now, I'm going to talk about the biopsychological effects of coffee. The go-to morning drink, the let me get my hands on this coffee so I can function drink, the daily dose of morning caffeine, whether you're a 7.45 a.m. Dunkin' Run person, a Starbucks enthusiast, a Stewart's grab-and-go person, or your best friends with the Mr. Coffee Pot that is sitting in your kitchen waiting for you to use it tomorrow morning, you know you have to get your coffee before you start your day, one way or another. And you know how sometimes when you're anticipating a good cup of coffee and it turns out that the coffee actually sucked and just it was horrible, it was lukewarm, it had no flavor, it was watery instead of like thick if you're an espresso person like me, that can ruin your mood for the whole day. Do you know how that can happen? Because me too. I will explain that, but first, some background. So how does biopsychology explain our love for coffee? We look at the biology of the brain. So starting there, in this topic, the CNS, which is the central nervous system, is involved primarily but as you go on there are some peripheral nervous system effects as well and that's the pns like digestion in the nervous system neurons take on an initial exposure we don't get to decide how our biological functions operate that's just what they do biology is the objective part we don't get to say that biology is wrong simply because we don't like the way something happens it just is what it is it's natural now the psychology part does get into the thickness of individuals perception and that can be a little bit more subjective but back to the central nervous system initiated response thing a neuron is a brain cell it's soma the cell body branches off into dendrites and they're like these little they actually look like tree branches like if you look at a diagram of them and then on the other end of the soma with the dendrites, you get this elongated portion of the cell. It becomes, as you travel down it, 
coated in this protective layering that's called myelin and it forms this sheath it's a membrane and it forms this sheath around the axon which is like the long part of the cell or terminal is probably better stated but the myelin is going to act as an electrical insulator and it's going to help conduction which is started by action potentials speed up it's like if you've ever played Mario Kart, and it doesn't matter which console you've played it on, because every Mario Kart I've played has this feature, when you're on the racetrack and you see those little rainbow panels, it's like a moving rainbow with like stars on it or something, I don't remember the specifics of it, but it's built into the racetrack, and when you drive over that, if you know what I'm talking about, you're probably envisioning it right now, but when you drive over it, you speed up. You speed up a whole lot in a very, very short amount of time. That is what the myelin is essentially doing. So once an impulse gets sent through the cell and sent to that terminal, it's gone from there. The reaction is happening. So every cell in the human body has a surface layer, a surface membrane, where there are going to be a lot of different interactions. And specifically, I'm talking about neurons, so that's a brain cell. And on this cell's receptor sites, the molecule adenosine is going to bind to it, which initiates sleepiness. Adenosine is one of the body's more powerful molecules and is linked to the digestion process. Now, I did mention digestion earlier. So during digestion, the glucose in the foods that we eat is going to break down into um, a simpler form, and that breaks down further into adenosine triphosphate, which some of you may remember from biology is ATP. I love ATP. I think it's awesome. I think its production is awesome. Um, it actually uses um, dehydration synthesis to form, but that's a little bit jargon heavy. It is really cool though. ATP is an energy-carrying molecule that is found in the cells of all living things. ATP captures energy that's obtained from the breakdown of those food molecules and then it releases it to fuel other cellular processes. It's not actually a storage molecule for chemical energy. That's the job of carbs, such as glycogen and fats. But when energy is needed by the cell, it's converted from storage molecules into ATP. And then ATP is like a little shuttle bus delivering energy to places within the cell where any of those energy-consuming activities are taking place. Or if you want to say it in true science student fashion, that is an endergonic process, meaning you add energy. Energy has to be added in order for the reaction to happen. I think that's cool, and you can tell your friends you learned a new word if you didn't know the word. <laughs> if you did, then I'm just reciting old knowledge to you. But ATP, and I just want to mention its structure a little bit, is a nucleotide and that consists of three main structures, which is a nitrogenous base and then a pentagonal OH group, which is the ribose or sugar in the center, and then a chain of three phosphate groups that are bound to ribose. And that phosphate tail is the actual power source within the cell tabs because when it loses one of those phosphate groups, it becomes ADP. So like that outer phosphate is gonna be removed. That's where the energy is yielded from. And this is where we get our ADP from, which is just adenosine diphosphate because it's missing that one phosphate group. Now through a series of other chemical reactions, adenosine monophosphate can be converted to adenosine. And I don't wanna go 
super into that, but adenosine can build up in the bloodstream. And in neural cells, which are brain cells again, it has the ability to bind to that receptive site and make us sleepy. Those receptors though, in the presence of caffeine, which is an organic molecule classified as a methylxanthine alkaloid, are blocked from binding. Caffeine stimulates the brain because it promotes awakeness. Caffeine is a drug. It works the same way cocaine or heroin work regarding dopamine, but way weaker than those drugs. That was kind of an extreme example. But it's going to block that reabsorption of dopamine, making it float around for longer and we feel good. And when the effects wear off, it's time for more coffee. Dopamine plays a role in how we feel pleasure, of course. It's a big part of our unique human ability to think and plan. Dopamine helps us strive, focus, and find things interesting. It's also very beneficial to the body in a lot of ways, and by having more of it, it affects many parts of behavioral and physical functions, such as learning. And that is a big one for why there's that stereotype that college students are just on caffeine all the time. But if it's gonna stimulate us to be more awake and more alert and contribute to our ability to learn, there's reason enough for why a lot of kids consume it. I do. I, I'm doing it in moderation, but I'm doing it. And the other things are motivation, heart rate, blood vessel function, kidney function, lactation, sleep, mood, attention, control of nausea and vomiting, pain processing, and movement. But too much caffeine can also result in a slew of problems, like having another cup of coffee or energy drink will get the adrenaline flowing again, but when it wears off, you've got to get more and you might face fatigue and depression. But having your body in a state of emergency, being jumpy and irritable all day long from those constant ups and downs isn't very healthy. And a long-term problem that can arise with caffeine is definitely its effect on your sleep. And that's because the half-life of caffeine in your body is about six hours. So if you're drinking a big cup of coffee containing like 200 milligrams of caffeine at 3 p.m., that's going to leave about 100 milligrams of that caffeine in your system by 9 p.m. And so all of that adenosine is just floating around stuck there and it's not able to bind, so you're not able to fall into sleepiness. But yeah, generally, it's probably why some people shouldn't drink it. Later, some people have built up a tolerance to it and know that it's going to affect everybody's body differently, but that's kind of a general gist on too much caffeine. Too much consumption of anything usually isn't good, so if you use it in moderation, you should be fine. So now moving into the psychology of coffee as a heartwarming drug. How does coffee make us feel? Well, the whole experience is very nuanced. The taste, the ritual, the aroma. If you're a cafe connoisseur and you really just enjoy that eccentric, artsy, hipster kind of cafe setting, I love that, then it's also the atmosphere that adds to your experience of having coffee. Um, but the aroma, I want to go back to that, smell makes up a large part of our perception of flavor. So we've come to expect that delicious taste, bitter and strong or sweet and rich, thick and bold, light and hot, dark and acidic, whatever way you take yours. And this is because of classical conditioning. Is anybody familiar with the study of Pavlov's dogs? And if so, you'll know where I'm headed with this. 
So in a quote by a researcher from Northwestern University, it is possible that coffee consumers acquire a taste for or an ability to detect caffeine given the learned positive reinforcement, also known as stimulation, elicited by caffeine. This group of researchers was actually doing a study on the coffee effect on the brain. But just to expound on that classical conditioning in case you've never heard of it or need a refresher, in classical conditioning, an association between two stimuli is learned over an amount of time. Usually the stimuli is repeatedly shown to the participant or to the person, like it's reoccurring to the point where it, it becomes ingrained in the brain of the person who's learning it, that one thing is typically associated with the other thing. So we're associating that bitter taste of caffeine with more energy, thus we want more of it. Who doesn't want a boost? Now, I'm a habitual coffee drinker. I actually find myself having negative side effects from not drinking coffee when I get up before school. I'll end up with a horrible headache, one that's like really tense and throbbing or feeling like I'm in my own way or having extreme fatigue and sluggishness, basically withdrawal. Like I cannot pick up my head until I have had a really good cup of coffee. And when it's really good coffee, that can literally uplift my whole day. Actually, I was just having a conversation about this with my dad on how your first cup of coffee can actually make or break your whole day, it seems. If you're anticipating that good hot cup of coffee and you just get one that's subpar, it's so discouraging. But if you get a good one that hits the spot, it's like the world becomes brighter and you're just ready to take on anything that it throws in your way. And I know I said that I drink it in moderation. I'm not drinking like 10 cups in a sitting, but I am drinking one or two cups in the morning every day. So whether or not you want to look at that as moderate coffee drinking, that's up to you. That can be subjective. Remember, we're talking about psychology now. But then moving forward and kind of putting it together, combining both biology and psychology regarding biopsychology, so that is the combination of those things, our brains have a complex process of becoming acquainted with liking certain things, expecting things to be a certain way through something like top-down processing, which is where which is where your perception of something is like predetermined based on something you already know. Uh, and having tiny electrical signals shoot around sending messages and receiving chemical messages also that account for our behavior. Caffeine has big effects on those systems and causes a chemical change in concentration of molecules that cause drowsiness and it gets in their way. It triggers activeness and awakeness, stimulating our feel-good neurotransmitter, which then triggers us to feel more motivated and increases our aptitude to want to learn. And why are we doing this to ourselves? Are we doing it because of a placebo effect? Meaning, are we inadvertently altering our behavior based on the fact that we already have a learned presumption about the effects of caffeine and how it's supposed to wake us up, thus causing us to act a certain way without any real noticeable effect from caffeine? Or are we doing it out of pure liking? You like the flavor, you like the cafes, so gustatory senses and olfactory senses are going to shoot up to the brain and by reason that you desire this drink and drinking it as a reward, dopamine gets released? Or do we all just have a serious caffeine addiction? No matter what, biopsychology is a great way to research all of those scenarios. And I hope that you guys have learned something cool or interesting from this episode. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate each and every single one of you. 
And while you're here, be sure to check out the other great podcasters that are also here on the BMG network.